Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton Podcast. Welcome to episode 119 of the Unholy Trinity podcast, brought to you in association with Sports Social, the UK's only dedicated sports podcast network, and also Fanatics. We're, we're recording pretty quickly after the announcement that Rafael Benitez has, has left his post as Everton manager after another abysmal performance against, against Norwich, which saw the Blues Four to a two-one defeat. Um, it's been on the cards for a long, long time. Basically, um, a manager who was brought in, which divided the fan base. That's for sure. Um, we tried to give him as much as much chance as we could, but it became clear in recent weeks it was only going to go one way, and and that is that's the way that it's gone. But Pete, I'll come to you first. What what's your initial reaction to the sacking of the manager? Now, in a way, I'm sorry to say it, but relief, I think. M- massive relief. I-, I think my worry after that defeat was he was going to hang on to the job. And I only saw it one way, that we were going to continue losing under him. I mean, if you look at the last 13 games, lost nine. And then it, for, for me, that this is the, just the pinnacle of it. If you look at the games we lost, West Ham, Watford, Wolves, City, Brentford, Liverpool, Palace, Brighton, Norwich. Of those games, you'd say Watford, Wolves, Brentford, Liverpool, Palace, Brighton and Norwich were abysmal, were horrendous, were, you know, catastrophes. You know, for me, there's just no coming back from it. He just, he didn't seem to learn his lesson and... You know, we could go back and listen to our previous podcast episodes. We were saying the same thing every week. You know, why is he persisting with a two-man midfield? Why is he setting us out so defensively against teams that we should be looking to attack and take on? It, it, it was just the same story every week. And I'm just relieved that, you know, the board have acted. I, I know it, it puts the club into a difficult position, but I think it's a better position than if he was manager. And the bizarre thing for me, I think almost the icing on the cake, is we go to Chelsea, you know, a game I think everyone was expecting us to lose, probably including most Everton fans, put in that really good performance. And then we go to Brighton and play a back five. So we're home to Brighton and play a back five at home. Against the team that we should be looking to take on and build from that Chelsea result. And then we go to Norwich. And the first thing he says in his post-match interview is we, we had an idea to go there and not concede against a team that haven't scored in, in nine and a half hours of of football. I, you know, it's, it's just beyond disbelief for, you know, so-called successful football manager who's renowned for his his tactics. I just don't think he he got the club 
Um, you know, d- despite all the narrative around him when he got the job, he didn't get the club. He isolated some of our best players. It, it seems clear that he lost the dressing room as well as the fans, and the, the writing was on the wall. And I'm, I'm just glad that the board have done the right thing. I think two simple re- two, two simple reasons there. Either he's completely and utterly inept, or he's done it for a seven million payoff. Probably one or the other. Possibly so. I mean, his his reasons for for taking the job, you know, we we will never we will never know. We can make up our own mind as to why we thought he took the job. The feeling has always been, well, it's always been divisive. You know, there was there was a few people who were who were right behind it. You know, I'd put us in the camp of we we didn't really want him, but we backed him. Uh, we said it time and again. Um, and you know things started okay. You know we picked up wins, but like we said in the past, we still struggled, didn't we? We we were counting on sort of moments of brilliance or ten or fifteen minutes a spell where we were on top to get those goals. Um, so it was always I thought even the, the wins have never been comfortable at any point this season. Um, but it was it's, it's an experiment which is has totally backfired and, and Mashiri's gone all in. You know, he's if we're to believe what we've been told and what we've read in recent times, recent weeks, he gave the manager all the power that he, he could ever want. You know, we Marcel Brands leaves. He obviously there was people within the medical departments who've left. You've got Luca Dean who he falls out with and he's gone. And he backed him to the absolute hilt until it got to the point where he couldn't be backed, couldn't be backed anymore. And the, the talk was that they met, I think it was Friday. Um, she was in town on Friday and it didn't go, it didn't go particularly well. That was before the Norwich game. So that was the first sign that cracks were appearing in, in, in their relationship that we know of. Um, so I don't think it boded well going into the, to the Norwich game. And, you know, from, from my, my point of view, it's, it's one of the one of the biggest state managerial stains in our, in our club's history. That's how it will be viewed. I mean, Lee, you know, looking at look at his win, his win percentage, what was he thirty one point eight percent? That's the lowest lowest of any manager since God knows since the records were invented. Who've managed more than ten games for the club? That tells you all you need to know, uh, doesn't it? But what 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 what's your opinion on the on him being removed from his his job today? Well, I think Pete's just summed up really well there. I think it's been nothing short of a disaster, hasn't it? And, you know, most sensible, rational Everton fans from the get-go wouldn't have been entirely pleased that he got the job. But like you just said there, Mike, you know, we accepted it. We were willing to back him. We were willing to forget his past allegiances. Um, Although that really wasn't the main reason. Obviously, there was a few other factors that we were worried about and they bared fruit as well. But ultimately, it's been an absolute disaster, really. We started off bright and we're thinking, hang on a minute, you know, he's going to change change the way we play. Um, we're going to have a different style of football. We're going to play to the strengths of our best. And then once we lost one or two players, you know, it just it just fell apart completely. And the guy just, you know, you look at some of his most recent interviews and he just doesn't inspire at all, does he? He doesn't inspire when he's in front of the camera. You know, I want my managers to be in front of that camera and inspire me as a fan. You know, because if he's inspiring us as fans with sound bites or coming across in a certain way, he's doing the same for the players. And he and he's, he he clearly speaks exactly the same way in the changing room. There's no wonder some of the players didn't end up wanting to play for him. 
because he was massively overly pragmatic. You know, football has evolved and it's left the likes of him and Jose Mourinho behind. You know, I mean, it really has. Um, and there's nothing more definitive than for me when I, I said it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, the final nail in the coffin for me was that Brighton game when he ended up paying, playing Seamus Coleman at left wing back, uh, John Joe Kenny at right back, and we had a French international fullback on the bench. And literally, what, 80% of our play was coming down that down the left-hand side. And literally, he preferred to win an argument against a player than the benefit of the team. And that was the end of it. And, and like you just said there, the biggest farce of it all, after all that, he gets on, his, gets on the blower to his mate Stevie and he sells him one of our best players two days before he's sacked. I mean, I, that just that just sticks in my throat, that. It really does stick in my throat. Uh, we'll come on and talk about the Norwich game in a second because I feel massively sorry for this young left-back that's come in and the pressure that's going to be on him. You can tell the way he's playing already. You know, he's clearly f- feeling it. We'll come on to that. But ultimately, it was a disaster from the start. And, and we were always a few losses away from, from fans changing their minds. And obviously, over time... It's been a gradual wave, isn't it? Where pretty much in the end, probably over ninety-five percent of them wanted him gone. Um, so it's for me, Mashiri there stuck his neck on the chopping block with him. We're led to believe he wooed him with a dossier of all all up all of our squad and what he thought about them and stats on them and and how you know his plans for them and everything else. And he's clearly fallen for it. And essentially, like I said before, he's been with us just over six months. And he's going to walk away with seven million quid, which is an absolute disgrace. Yeah, and your point there, obviously, about when you're ever a few games away from basically disaster. I think it got to the point where we were every single time we played, we were just ninety minutes away from a disaster and a fallout and talk of the manager being sacked. And you you can't operate at any level with that kind of insecurity. And that, that, that's what the, let's get it right, from day one, that's what this manager brought, didn't he? You know, the fact that there were so many people who were against the appointments, the fact that, that the board, I mean, you know, whether the board are fit for purposes isn't the question, but the fact that the board were, were split in terms of who they actually wanted to bring in, this man was, was not, was certainly not wanted by, by a, a good few people on the board. And for me, it's almost been been used as a as a bit of a power sit by by Michiri to say, well, I I'm the one who's in charge. This is who I want. I'm going to back him. I'm going to prove you wrong. And it was the worst manager in the world to try and do that with. You know, after after Carlo Ancelotti, where okay, we we sailed off at the back end of last season. You know, we got 59 points, which is which is a, a fantastic total if we look back at it now. Um, after him and after the, you know, it was it was a, a joyous appointment. You know, all, all the remember the the atmosphere was, was was fantastic when we heard we were we were appointing him and what he brought to the table. Going from that to Rafael Benitez, who, okay, passed links to Liverpool, hadn't done anything of of any kind of note in recent years. We said it at the time was given an easy ride at Newcastle by the fans because of the fact that he, he used to stand up to Mike Ashley. So straight away, you could win, win, lose or draw. Everyone was in, in Rafa's camp because he was telling the the owner where, where to go. 
Um, went to China for but what probably seemed to be a final payday. And then Everton come knocking. He must have thought, me luck's in. I can come back over to England. My family can stay in the house over the water. You know, I'm half an hour from my place of work. And for him, he just thinks, you know, oh, everything's just fallen into line. Absolutely fantastic. And I don't blame him for taking the job. I really don't. Why would he, why would he turn the job down? But it's, like I said, it's a power tip for me from Farhad Nishiri. It's a massive, massive gamble. And it's a huge gamble that, that has, has totally, totally backfired. And and where we go from here, which we'll discuss shortly, this is going to be, I think, yes, yes, another pivotal crossroads moment for the club. Totally agree. I totally agree. It, it's it, you just shake your head. I and mean, for me, you know, he, he's been there six months or just over six months. He's managed to get rid of the medical team. He's managed to force a director of football out of the club who was never really given the opportunity to do his job properly. He's managed to get sell one of our best players to one of his one of his mates, and he's brought in the likes of Salomon Rondon and people like that as well. He's, he's you know a few of the other scouts in Europe have walked as well, albeit they were linked to brands. And he's only been there six months, six months, and he's managed to basically pretty much strip the board, strip loads of people of their jobs, or they've either walked for one reason or another. And then he and then and then like I said before. He's been sat two days after selling one of our best players who had an outstanding game against Man United and all the Villa fans are salivating going, bloody hell, we've picked up this kid for 23 million quid. He was absolutely outstanding and we've strengthened a rival in the process who was one point above us at the time. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, like you just said, how we've gone from Carlo, who had a win percentage of just under 47%, you know, which at the end of the day, you know, I, I agree with some fans. The football, particularly towards the end, wasn't exactly, you know, ticky tacker, absolutely brilliant to watch stuff. But Carl, one thing Carlo knew how to do, he knew how to get results. His record against some of the bigger sides was very strong. Okay, it was a bit of a sort of, you know, you know, not a normal season. The fact there was obviously no fans or anything like that. But ultimately, I think if Carlo would have stayed, and we know some of the reasons why he may have gone now, if Carlo would have stayed, I think that continuity would have helped the club. He would have been able to attract certain levels of players. He would have fixed certain areas. And the problem is we're just bouncing around from manager to manager. And that's the massive issue for me. Now, obviously, from where do we go from here? I don't want the club to panic. I just don't want the club to panic and appoint somebody in the space of a few days without doing the proper due diligence this time. And I want the club to be able to say, look, give it Duncan Ferguson until the summer if we have to. Give us, you know, four months or something like that or there or thereabouts to give us time to assess the landscape, to speak to certain managers and then get the right appointment. But before we do that, let's bring a director of football and let's give them the opportunity to basically help bring in the right manager and let's work to a plan. Let's work to a plan. Let's do what Leicester City have done. Let's sign players in the right age categories and make a profit on them. You know, they've got the likes of Tielemans, Fafana and people like that. They're going to make 30, 40, 50 million quid on these players. It's not a difficult thing to do. Just have a plan. Have a director of football that basically link, you know, is given the keys to the car, as we said before, to run the show. And just do it over a sustained period of time. Fans will get behind that. There will be issues, obviously. There'll be, there'll be bumps in the road. But at least we know that we'll be on a journey to, 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 to hopefully the right destination. Well, I think 
the word table or words of having a plan are key to it all, aren't they? Because we haven't had a plan for so long. And when we thought we had a plan, you know, which let, let's go back in time without dwelling on it, but it was it was Marco Silver and Marcel Brands was the plan. That was that was the last time probably I thought that we actually knew exactly what direction we were going in. And then since then we we've we've steered away from from what, what our initial plan was. Um so can I can I put you know my trust in in those in charge to, to make or to do the right thing, whether it be in the shorter term and the longer term? Well probably not, because the the proof is in the pudding and we've got it wrong too often in recent times. And I just really I mean we're gonna discuss in the next part about obviously the the latest on the manager front and what the talk is because thing, things have moved really really quickly since the manager was actually confirmed to have, have lost his job earlier on today uh, and it's changing all the time to be honest as we're talking um so we, we'll come on to that shortly but i just don't see you know and i just just don't think that we're going to learn any lessons quickly until other changes are made at board level director of football fingers crossed comes back in and and we can start to find to find our, our direction again. I just I just don't know what the what the what the the near and the distant future holds at the club. Um, there's, there's so many things, so many decisions to be made, and they're all absolutely vital that we get them right. Because make no mistake about it, after losing to potentially one of the worst sides we've ever seen in the Premier League in Norwich yesterday, after losing to Norwich, we're going to shit. Everton Football Club can, can get relegated. And anyone who thinks that we can't because of, you know, some of the quality that we've got, you know, you haven't watched football in the last 20, 25 years to see what can go wrong at certain clubs. We've seen it with Leeds. We've seen it with Sunderland. It can happen to these clubs who, who think they've got more than enough to stay up. And Everton are, are very much in that, that ballpark at this moment in time. And we've seen it with Villa. We've seen it with Villa with Randy Lerner. Yeah. Yeah. We spent a load of money and it was an absolute, it was an absolute show, wasn't it? You know what I mean, and and they ended up going down. So you know, it, you know, we're not immune to going down. And Villa, are, you know, like us, historic, a big club. You know what I mean. So you know, it can easily happen. You are right there, Mike, definitely. But for me, it, it, in in summary, there, it can't get any more complicated than how do we get the fans back on board? How do we get fans going? We you know t- to love their club again. You know, th- th- bring bring Ferguson in, put Leighton Baines's number two if you have to. You know what I mean? That players that are absolutely loved by the fans. And then give him until the summer, you know, just half a season. If he does a spectacular job, there you go. We've sorted out the manager problem already. If he does an all right job and gets us in the safety of mid-table, then look again, readdress it again in the summer and reassess it. But bring Fergie or Baines and Baines in as maybe one and two, if you like, until the summer. That that for me is the most rational thing. Don't rush the decision. Then appoint a director of football who links well with the with, with the manager. There's a reason why Brands wanted to keep wanted to keep um, Marco Silva because he knew that he could work with him and they could work towards that, you know, what Brands' initial philosophy was. He felt Silva went too early. In the end, maybe, was that the right decision or not? We don't know and we'll never know. But, you know, have a, have, like I said before, have a plan. Give it time. Have a philosophy. Recu- recruit young and wi- wisely. And then the last one for me is communicate with us. Communicate with us as fans. Not through talk sport, not through other mediums. Communicate with us as fans. This is where this is our journey. We're recruiting this guy and this guy, and this is where we this because we want to go down this route. 
you know, let, let's look at it as a three to five year thing, like he did when he first came in, when he said we were going to be working towards Champions League football in three years. We're five, six years down the line, and we're, we're more at the other end of the table than we are at the Champions League side. Yeah, of course, of course we are, and you know, as I say, the we've got to get it right. We've we've got it. This decision that we make now has got to be right. It's got to ensure that you know we, we start to get in the right direction and go in the right direction. And I just don't know, as I say, I just don't know whether they're capable of making making the right decision. Not not from what I'm reading at this moment in time, and from what what has gone before. Um, but before before we discuss, obviously our thoughts on the new manager going forward. You mentioned, obviously, earlier about, obviously, what happened to Carroll Road and, and Mikhalenko. Obviously, we, we, we tried to... We, we've pushed for him to... What 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 would have been ideal would have been to have Luca Dean still at the club to learn from for six months. Instead, he's been thrown in at the deep end. He's our only left-back on the books. And it's he's now having to, obviously, play week in, week out. We we saw him yesterday. Obviously, the the back pass that he that he made, which nearly led to a goal, head in his hands, which I think really would have finished him off before he, before he's even started. But the game yesterday, Pete, was just typical, wasn't it, of what we've seen, especially in recent weeks, of Everton, of how the manager set us up, and you know we go in again with the midfield too. We, you know, we've, we, I mean, he put Rondon as a almost as a number ten, which was crazy in itself. And the manager has only got himself to blame, hasn't he, after that performance again yesterday? Absolutely, it was an endemic of everything that's been wrong with the, the Rafa Benitez tenure. Um, you know, it was like a four-four-two counter attack. You know, that we're going to soak up. Norwich and try and hit them on the break and I, I just couldn't believe it I couldn't believe it and you could see we were doomed to fail from the start because we were light through the middle and all Norwich did was just put pressure on us I mean both the goals that we conceded in the, in the first half were they're both horrendous I felt slightly sorry for for Michael Keane in a way it, it was slightly an unfortunate own goal and he made a mistake but there were so many things wrong I think you know, even before then, up to, up to that point with our, our, our defence, we were just allowing them to have the ball. We were just sitting back, giving them the ball. And you could just see Norwich growing and growing and growing. You know, home crowd, important game. Um, you know, they fancied their chances against us with our record. And we, we just gave it to them. We gave it to them. And I, I don't get it at all. When you look, you know, at our, at our squad, we've got some really good players in that team. I know we've been unlucky with with injuries and we're you know playing in the COVID era. But the, the the team sheet we had was good enough to go there, take the ball, take the game to Norwich, and beat them. And I think he he set the team up in such a way so negatively. I can understand why the players couldn't get behind it. I can understand why it's a you know it's it's a poor performance. All these pundits coming out saying, well. Um, you know that I hated the players will be playing better for a, for a new manager next week, but you know at, at the same time look at what he's asking these players to do. He's a one trick pony and it's not working and he's persisting with it. It he turned the club into a sinking ship. So for me it it's completely on Rafa's shoulders. Um, and I, I, I think my one worry when Richarlison scored that you know fantastic goal was it, it might almost um, take some of the crap off what was a terrible performance and he might hang on to the job for a little bit longer, but thankfully not. 
I totally agree with that, Pete. It was exactly the same against Brighton. It was exactly the same against Hull. We got away with it against Hull, by the way. I know we had chances, and you know, um, but again, we went behind early doors again. We went 2-0 down against Brighton, a team that doesn't score goals. And if you think Brighton don't score goals, Norwich are even worse. Like you just said, they haven't scored for nearly 10 hours. They haven't scored since November. They'd scored eight goals all season in the Premier League before, before playing us, and they scored two in 18 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely disastrous. I mean, he had he had God Ben Godfrey playing at right back when he made finally made some changes. We've got a right back sitting on the bench. We've got a right back sitting on the bench. Coleman, as we know, has struggled. We know he's getting old. We love him to bits. We know he's getting old. He's making mistakes. We've got we've signed a right back for eleven million quid from Rangers. Okay, he's a young lad, and he's not played a load of first team football. You're playing Hull and you're playing Norwich. They're hardly going to be the two most taxing games of your season. You know what I mean? Why the hell is he not playing a proper right back instead of playing a centre back out there? Well, well, that's it. If there's a game to throw him in, he's re- he's renowned yeah. as well for being an attacking right back. Yeah. So I can understand why he might not have started. But yeah, if there's a game to throw him in when we've got literally nothing to lose, it's when we're two 0 down to Norwich and we need to get a result. One hundred percent, mate. And to be to be fair, the way Patterson comes across, and I've seen bits of him. I've seen a couple of interviews with Gerard talking about him. He strikes me as a lad that's got no fear either. He strikes me as lads have got a bit of arrogance about him. You know, it's not quite the same with Mikolenko, who's coming from another country, can't really speak the language. But just the way Patterson carries himself, I can see. I can see there's something there. Okay, we've got to see him play yet. But I, I can see there's a bit of arrogance about him as if like, I'm good enough to play. Do you know what I mean? He's already been playing for Scotland, you know, in crucial games as well for them, not just you know, Mickey Mouse qualifiers. You know, he's played in some important games for them. And obviously, Gerard was obviously a big fan of his. So ultimately, you know, that, that was suicidal. And then to compound that, like you just said, Mike, he plays Rondon in a 10. In a 10. I mean, how can we go from James Rodriguez? He said, he said in his own press conference, yeah, we need a creative number 10 in the middle there who can knit it all together. I'm like, so you think Rondon's the answer? The guy can't even trap the ball. Never mind, look at, look, lift his head and put, play a pass. You know what I mean? So, you know, he's got rid of James Rodriguez, one of the most creative players. OK, look, there's arguments to say, you know, he only plays when he wants, blah, blah, blah. OK, there's arguments there. But you're saying we need a 10. You had a number 10, mate, but you never gave him a chance. Our next most creative player, like I said before, Luca Dean, on your bike, mate. Don't question me. See you later. And then Gomez. Fans are now all over Gomez again. We all know we've seen enough of Andre Gomez, right? He's a lovely footballer. He gets on the ball. He gets on the half turn. He's got great feet, both feet. But you know, everybody knows you cannot play him in a two-man midfield. You can't. You can't play him in a two-man midfield. You just He hasn't got the legs to get about the pitch. You know what I mean? You need Andre Gomez alongside an Alan and Decore, who can do some of the running for him and then give him the ball in, the, in, in, you know, in spaces where he can hurt teams. Because he's got an eye for a pass. He's got an eye for an assist. Do you know what I mean? So it's just absolutely stupidity. You know, Play the three in midfield, control the game against Norwich. Norwich, I bet you Norwich couldn't wait to play us. They couldn't wait to play us because they knew that was a great opportunity to be. Because we know how Rafa's going to set up. We know how he's going to set up. He's going to set up with basically a light in midfield. So let's go heavy in there and basically dominate the ball, shall we? It was absolutely ludicrous. The game should have gone how it went from the second half where we ended up controlling most of the ball and then they were hanging on a little bit without us really testing their keeper. But that's how the game should have gone from the start. We should have asserted our authority, got our foot on the ball, like you said, Pete, and basically knocked it around and basically, you know, saw out maybe the first 10 minutes of them having a little bit of a spark and then just took control of the game. 
But they didn't at all. They just completely gave up and let them go in the lead yet again. I mean, the reason he's gone is mainly that. Apart from the likes of bloody Rondon and people like that, the reason he's gone is that his formations, his tactics, his substitutions were just absolutely baffling. Correct. I mean, I, I don't want to dwell on on the game too much because I think it's with you know it's a little bit at the point now where it's pointless. The man's gone. Um, it was just another game, like I said at the start. Then another another game where he, he got it totally wrong, whether it be personnel, whether it be set up. I know obviously individual mistakes were made for for both goals. Um, and you, you know those who were who were maybe sympathisers to to the manager or the should I say ex manager. Um, they will say, well, individual mistakes. And I've, I've said it for a long, long time. Every time we can see the goal, it always seems to be an individual mistake. But it tends to come from how we're set up. It's, it's, it's from how we were initially told how to play, what our tactics are for the game, you know, at times how deep we are. I want to see us. I want to see us play football. And that's the attack again from, from minute one. I thought I, I was on a Toffee Blues pre-match yesterday and I said, I can see us with how we with how we've been set up there again two in midfield. We, we we've got to look to control possession, take the game to Norwich. You know we should be nowhere near them in terms of table position. On paper, our our, our side yesterday was was much better with the bench as well being as strong as it was. There's no reason why that team can't go there, play football, control the game, and and go and win it. But yet again, set us up like you said, got a round on in it in a number ten. Um, we, we've got a two-man midfield. You know, we're making mistakes. We're, we're giving away free kicks again. You know, we set pieces straight away. We, we just, it's just a, a side totally bereft of confidence. But that has come from it's the, the book has to stop with the manager. It's what he's instilled. They're not buying into his tactics. If what we're what we're told is to be believed, the manager just doesn't like to listen to anyone else when they're coming with, with ideas on his coaching staff. So. It's got to stop with him, and you can only hope that as we move forward this week and, and make a decision on who's going to take, whether it be temporary charge or, or charge for the foreseeable, that that individual can come in, can rally the players, can get them playing with, with a bit of belief again, and you know get, get them on board with their, with their tactics, with their beliefs, with their techniques, because... Maybe a handful, if that, of those players were buying in to what this manager was trying to do. For me, he brought in the worst style of football I've ever seen in all my years watching Everton Football Club. In all my years. I think I think we were the worst team to watch in the Premier League. And that's got to change quickly. Otherwise, Everton will go down. And that, that that's where we are. And it's sad to say, but that is where we are. Um but we'll we'll leave leave the Norwich game there. Um, as I said, the, the the new manager situation is fast moving. As we're talking, things are uh, are changing. Um, so we'll be back after the short break to discuss that. Welcome back to the second part of this week's Unholy Trinity podcast, where we're gonna we're gonna go on now and discuss what is happening on the manager front. And like I said, it's it seems to be changing every five minutes at this moment in time. Um, the current talk is is this that it looks like well Everton have approached the Belgian FA for some might say a sensational I will say a disastrous return for 
a certain Roberto Martinez, potentially interim, uh, potentially longer term. Lee, thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I said to you before we started recording, I had three words. It's now I've just I just wrote another word down. It's four words that for me that Martinez, right? Nias, McGeady, Alcatraz, and Kone. <laughs> and Kone. Right? Those four signings, for me, sum up, sum up Martinez here. Lovely fella. Spoke glowingly about the club. Had some great sound bites every now and then, apart from overusing the word phenomenal. But other, other than that, he shouldn't be anywhere near our club. Defensive issues. Once, once, once Moyes' defensive stability wore off after that first season where we came fifth, he got found out. He got found out. He got found out. He, he likes to play, obviously, you know, patient, ticky-tacky football, if you want to call it that. But ultimately, he got found out defensively. And also, on top of that, he's taken over one of the best, or probably the best, era of Belgian football. And what's he managed to do with them? I'm surprised he's still in the job with them, if I'm honest, because you know they've, they've they've not even really come close to winning any of the major trophies when they should do with the squad that they've got. And also on top of all that, my firm belief with Martinez is Mashiri appointed him. So not, not sorry, Mashiri inherited him, and he was the first manager he sacked. And it would just be typical of Everton now to go and appoint the first guy he sacked five six years later. So really. And on top of all that, as we all know, and I'm sure you guys will agree, you never go back, dear. You never go back. Because the same reasons that were there before, it's only a matter of time before they rise up again. And the last thing we want is another potential toxic situation. You know, I think we were at that game at Anfield, weren't we, Pete, with, with Martinez, when it, was, when it was an absolute obliteration. It was horrible being at that game. We then remember the games not long after that. I can't remember who against Goodison when it was so toxic. It was unbelievable. We cannot get in a position where we're in that situation again. As I said before, by appointing Fergie in the interim, it allows the fans to basically get back on board with the team and every one of us try and get back on the same page. The amount of times on Twitter fans have been, we're all been warring with, with each other. You know, this, this manager in six months has turned us all on each other as well as obviously putting out dross on the pitch. So for me, Martinez, it's just, I cannot believe we're being linked with him, never mind the fact that he's the favourite. You know, why would you do that to the players, though, as well? You know, after the the divisive appointment of Benitez, why would you go for another really divisive appointment in Martinez? You know, he, he literally splits fans 50-50. Exactly. You know, why would you do that to the players and put them in, in the position of additional pressure of having to you know, go out and make it happen. Otherwise, as you say, Goodison's going to turn into the wrong kind of cauldron. Is there is there any argument, this is just me playing playing devil's advocate, is there any argument for Roberto Martinez to, to come back in if he's potentially learned his, his lesson, should we say? The, the biggest sticking point with him was, like you said, Lee, he had the hangover in a positive way from the David Moyes side. So that first season, 13-14, is the best football I've ever seen any Everton side play in my living memory. Now, bear in mind, I was born sort of mid-80s, so I didn't see those, you know, those sides. But that that season was absolutely fantastic in terms of the football that we played. Sorry to interject, Mike. I slightly disagree with that. I, I think it was, it was, I think Peak Moyes 
with the likes of your Baines, your Pinars, you know, people like that, uh, Arteta, uh, some of the the many European adventures we had with him. I think that football was more Everton than Martinez's football. You know, we went. I went to see Martinez's first few games, and I remember. I think the first didn't he have the first three games were nil nil, weren't they? I think they yeah, were nil nil. Yeah. If I remember rightly. And I remember it, Goodison being so quiet because we weren't we weren't playing the sort of you know football we were in the Moyes where it was sort of fast, energetic, you know, attacking football with a bit of flair in the right places. And then we went to to Roberto, which was pass it around the back for twenty five passes, and then eventually someone someone will show in midfield or someone won't track the runner. And we, I, I just don't don't get me wrong, we played some good stuff as well, but I, I don't think it was for me. As good as peak Moyes here. I don't know what you think. Well, in a way, I, I sort of think it's that's by the by. I I think it's about results, and I I, I don't particularly care about the, the quality of football. I, cl- I care about the position on the, in the table right now, and I don't think Martinez is is the man to do it. Not with the defence we've got. I mean, people forget Phil Jagielka was such an underrated footballer. He started his career in central midfield. He was good on the ball. Um, you know, no disrespect to, to to Michael Keane, but you know, Keane, Mina, Godfrey, they're not players that we want with the football at their feet for very long. We want them moving the ball out quickly. Well, this this Mike, is my. What do you think? What do you think, Mike? Just just to answer my point there, mate. What do you think, mate? You you made a point saying it's the best football you've seen. Yeah. What, Moise, I, Moise, I, I, Moise. I kind of like slightly disagree with that. What's your what's your what's your what, thought? Moyes was different, wasn't he? Because Moyes had. Many many years to to instill, you know, this this fabric if you like of, of Everton Football Club and with David Moyes, even in the seasons where maybe the quality wasn't there, you had players who who wanted to battle for the ball. He would give everything every single every single game week in week out with a bit of quality mixed in as well. So you had that with David Moyes, the energy at times or a lot of the time, yeah, it was there because you you'd have players who would run into the ground for you. With with Martinez in that first season, what what I enjoyed was it was a usefulness of the side, the players playing without any without any kind of fear. Then you had the, you had the maturity of say like your Gareth Barry for argument's sake, Leighton Baines, obviously in in his in his pomp at that time. Seamus Coleman, you know, probably you'd argue was probably peaking um, in and around those years. And I just think that there was such a good balance to that squad and to that side. That I enjoyed watching them most weeks. Don't get me wrong, there was occasions where, as we've seen with every manager that we've had in recent times, where Everton fell short. Um, you, you could, you know, there's no. We should have got Champions League football that season. There's no, there's no reason why we should have thrown that away, and we threw it away. And that was a, a big mentality issue that that we had. Um, but you know, I look at some of those games and and what I what I enjoy going. So you know, the Arsenal three nil. This is, always sticks out with Lukaku playing off off the right. Um, you know, absolutely fantastic game of football, and, and Everton were just you know at times were were unplayable. Going to Old Trafford, getting our first win there for God knows how many years. Another one that sticks out. You know, we we just performed so often, and it was it was a fantastic season. We fell short. This is not me, by the way, saying that I want him to come back in. I'm just playing devil's advocate where what I'm trying to say is if, and it's a big if, if he's learned his lessons. So Martinez's downfall came in his second second season, third season before he went. 
he had no plan B. So we sort of got worked out. He had this style of football with that side and we got worked out. And defensively, it, it was as if we did no no work defensively and certainly didn't do any work from, from set, uh, defending set pieces, which is, is an Achilles heel now. Um, so it's whether, do we know if he's learned those lessons? I don't know. I mean, obviously, you two, you two chip in. Ha, has he has he learned enough from being manager of Belgium, an international side that's full of world-class superstars, to actually then come back to a Premier League side at Everton who, who haven't got that quality to then have a positive impact? It's too big a gamble for me. Too big a gamble. I, I, I think if he did come in, the one positive is he's he's literally the exact opposite of, of Rafa. I, I think he'd get certain players believing in themselves. I think we would start winning some games. But I think he's he's too gung-ho. He's too unpredictable. I don't think he'd be able to work with the defence in the way that I think we need a manager to. I, I would much prefer you know, Ferguson to come in get them back to man marking, get get those players back to the basics. I think that's what we need. Not not necessarily a, a reset, like Lee said before, maybe that's for the summer. I think right now we need to get back to the fundamentals of, you know, playing competitive football. I, 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 it sounds bizarre to say for, you know, Premier League side, you know, these, these players are superstars, but some of the things we've seen, like when I read off that list of, of defeats they've not just been defeats they've been catastrophes you know things that you would said on the podcast you go crazy at your mate if you did that down the park uh, some of the things that we've seen from set pieces some of the defending some of the decision making like you said Mike yet yeah, yeah, they are individual errors but it, it's a theme it's a pattern and I just think we need a safe pair of hands someone that understands the club and an appointment that's not divisive and I, I just think Martin has swings too far in the other direction for for me and I think he would solve some problems but you know I think that the defensive ones arguably would be glaring and I I think if you look at our record and our goal difference we really need to shore it up at the back Rafa's approach of you know ultra negativity and and you know trying to win games one nil or trying to nick things wasn't the way to go but I, I don't think the the Martin's approach could be right either, especially with the way that he left the club and um, the way things went for him. It would be an absolute kamikaze appointment for me, going for Martinez. I just said to you guys off there, there it's like it's like Newcastle needing to stay up and appointing Eddie Howe. You know what I mean? Both coaches renowned for being, you know, almost Aussie Ardiles. You know what I mean? In terms of just basically attack, 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 and let's you know let's just hope we score more than the opposition. You know, um, whilst obviously, like Pete just said, it would probably be more entertaining to watch than what we've had under Rafa. You know, you, you know, we don't really need that right now. You know what I mean? We certainly don't need any more pressure on the defence. We you know we need, we need, like Pete just said there, back to the basics. We need someone to set us up in a way, yes, where we are difficult to beat, but where we actually go for teams, you know, particularly teams that we should be beating, you know, not sitting off against the likes of Brighton, not sitting off against the likes of... Of, of Norwich not having less possession the likes of whole city in the in the in the division below us. You know, that's what we should be doing. It's not difficult to do this, by the way. It's not difficult. You know, what I mean I'm not saying that any of us are your wafer coaches or anything like that. But you know, it's glaringly obvious some of the things that we can do that would fix things very quickly. You know, what I mean Ferguson's been in and around the team, he's been in and around this squad, these players, you know, by all accounts is you know, he's he, he's been ignored by the manager because as I said before, you know, I I've always called him maybe it's a bit too 
to OTT, but I've always said he's a narcissist. He believes he's the best manager in the world, Rafa Benitez. His ego is absolutely through the roof. You know, so for me, it makes complete sense to appoint Ferguson until the end of the year and then reassess it then. Give us time, as I said, to assess the landscape. I just think, as I said before, Martinez would be an absolute kamikaze appointment. It really would. It really would. Yeah, and, and I wasn't, you know, I'm not saying that I want him to come. As I say, my 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 role there was to obviously see what your thoughts are in terms of, you know, the the man himself. Me personally, I'm not behind that kind of appointment. I don't think it would work. Um, again, it's it's Everton going back uh, when we should be looking forward. Um, but what 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 I want to know is you said it already, Lee. You're you're behind the, the Duncan Ferguson in the shorter term um, to to give us that time. I think to to, to sort ourselves out and make sure you know we, we do we do things correctly and and don't just jump in. Um, Peter, are you are you feeling the same there? Are you are you behind Duncan Ferguson in the shorter term getting the uh, the interim manager's job? I I think when you you look at the the, the list of people that have been linked with the job. He seems to me to be the safest bet. Um, maybe the one slight reservation I might have is but the last time he came in in that interim role, he he had, I think, such a positive influence on us and he, he just got the fight and the belief and I think the identity of Everton back again. You know, it's, it's, can he replicate that a second time? Uh, you know, it's not novel now. It's not new. He, in a weird way, he's sort of stepping back into um, old shoes, although he didn't wear them for very long and um, I suppose that would be my only concern, but you know, it's not Frank Lampard for me. It's not Martinez for me. I, th- I think Rooney would be a gamble, although I think he's done an unbelievably underrated job at uh, at Derby. Um, I, you know, I, I think there is similar but slightly different issues with Rooney. But it just seems to me that Ferguson seems like the best appointment right now with the options we've got, and I I agree with Lee. I think give it to him. You know, let's see if we can get a response over the next few games. If not, you know, then, then maybe we can look at another option. But I think we need to set our sights on the summer and unfortunately pushing that reset reset button again and trying to get a, a club philosophy rather than looking to one manager to come in and solve everything like we did with Rafa because it's massively backfired and now we find ourselves, you know, lost at sea. We've got we've got some winnable games over the next six to eight games. You know we you know if we can win half of those games and pay, maybe pick up a, you know a couple of a couple of draws and others, then I think that'll be enough. You know it, it won't take as I said before. This is not a difficult fix for me. Ferguson will lift that dressing room just by his sheer personality alone. He'll lift that dressing room. He loves the club. He absolutely loves it. He's one of us. Yeah, you know I mean, and he'll lift that, and he, you know the likes of Calvert Lewin will play for him. The likes of Richarlison will play for him. Even the likes of the new lad Patterson, you know, a fellow Scott, will play for him. Seamus Coleman will idolise him. Yeah, you know I mean, because obviously Coleman come cut from similar cloth. Yeah, you know I mean, so for me, it's it's a sensible appointment to bring him in, albeit short term. You know, until the summer, and allow us to make a sensible decision. And when I say sensible decision, not necessarily bringing a manager straight away, bringing a director of football. Have a plan, like I said before, have a model and then appoint the manager in the summer after the director of football. That's what I think we should be doing. You know, that that's the way. If we want to compete against the big boys, we're never going to pe- compete with Man United. We're never going to pe- compete with Arsenal, who are 
on the verge of potentially signing Vlajevic and people like that. And we're just not going to be able to do that. We've got to be able to be smarter, like the likes of Leicester have, like the likes of Brighton have to some extent and other clubs in Europe as well. That's the model we've got to go down now. And Mashiri, for me, as much as he's done for our club, he's also been a huge hindrance. And we've talked about this before. He meddles too much and gets involved in affairs when he doesn't need to. He needs to, for me, fund the club, back it financially with maybe Usmanov in the background, but appoint the right people and let them run it. Let them run it. Let them run it. And then, you know, don't stick your oar in and sign the likes of Iwobi because of your mate here, Jurabchin. And then go and get, you know, sign, sign the likes of the lad from Villa that we've just signed recently who didn't even get a sniff the other day because obviously Benitez clearly obviously didn't want him. So for me, that, that's the most sensible approach right now. Don't make a rash decision. Don't go and appoint a guy that you sat five, six years ago. You know, make the sensible decision and give yourself time to make the right appointment in the summer when it's probably easier to get hold of different managers. I agree with Pete. I think Rooney's doing a great job at Derby. You know, obviously with the points they've been deducted, with the he's you know he's got a tiny squad, a lot of youngsters, you know. But ultimately, really, and maybe this sounds a bit harsh on him, you know, there's not really much pressure on him there at Derby, is there? Because he's not expected to keep them up after everything that's happened to them. It's a miracle that he's doing. It's a completely different kettle of fish coming to Goodison Park to Everton, the club though you know where he came through and that he obviously loves because he's a fan. And then suddenly, you know, the pressure will be absolutely 20-fold that it is at Derby, you know, compared to what's going on there. If he keeps Derby up, up by the summer, he's a miracle worker. If he goes down, it's, it's perceived to be, well, you know, the points, it was the points deduction that sent him down. So there's not really that much pressure on the lad. He has to go and earn his stripes like Gerard did in Rangers. You know, even if he goes to, he goes to Scotland himself and gets a job there or, go, you know, goes to another team other than Derby, he's not ready for the job yet for me. And Lampard, who's been heavily linked, I like Frank. I think he was a great pro, you know, one of the best these shores have produced. But for me, he's just not a manager. He's not a manager. I said to you, Mike, when we spoke on the phone last night about Lampard, I watched, if you haven't seen it, the Overlap podcast that Neville did with Lampard, where he interviewed him and talked about his time at Chelsea. And what came across and was telling for me, the, the guy wants to get back into management. But what came across to me was he struggled at Chelsea because he struggled to deal with some of the big personalities in the dressing room, people he played with before. His words were, to, I can't, I don't know exactly what, you know, but just to paraphrase him, he was saying to Gary Neville, ultimately I found it difficult to play some of the younger lads ahead of the senior pros like Giroud and a few others, because I, I found it difficult to have those conversations with them. Now, for me, that's worrying that, because Lampard is a guy that clearly likes to be liked. And as a football manager, sometimes... You, you, you know, you have to risk the fact that people are going to hate me, but ultimately the collective, the team is going to move forward. And I just think he hasn't got quite got that same sort of don't give a shit personality that, say, Steven Gerrard has, for example. You know, I mean, Gerrard would have no problem having that conversation with a Giroud-type player. Look him in the eye and say, I'm dropping you for Mason Mountway, and these are the reasons why. Whereas Lampard, I think, would tiptoe around it, wouldn't want to have that awkward conversation. I just don't think he's, he's a strong enough character for me to be a top-class manager. But that's what my, that's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the, the Wayne Rooney one is intriguing, isn't it, really? Because he's in a position at Derby County, the worst of positions that any club I, I've known in, in the modern games to find themselves in. The point deduction that they've had, you got him off the bottom of the table yesterday, which is absolutely incredible. But he's got that motivational factor, hasn't he, every single week, that the world's against him. 
you know, they've got a, another transfer embargo. So, and, you know, Phil Jagielka left yesterday and went to went to Stoke. He, he couldn't sign on um, for the remainder of the season. It was, and he's been integral to their, to their upturning form this season as well. And, you know, they, they're constantly in a battle every single day just to be playing, you know, football the following Saturday. So they, they've got this, you know, everyone's against us. We're going to show them. And that, that's a huge motivation. And it's turned out to be a huge motivation for both players and manager. And hats off to them. They're doing a fantastic job. Whether he can come into Everton and, you know, with all due respect to Derby, the, the pressure's probably tenfold at Everton with where we are, what we've gone through. Um, the last manager, you know, in terms of how divisive he was, the pressure from the fans to want to, to want to succeed. Rooney's a divisive character anyway in the, the world of Everton because a lot of people still hold a grudge against him for his move to Manchester United, rightly or wrongly, they do. When he came back and kissed the badge, people can't get over that. And as much as we might sit here and say, you know, you've got to move on, you've got to look forward. Even when he came back as a player, people still weren't totally sold at that particular point. So whether Wayne Rooney would be the, the right way to go, I'm not too sure. I think that that's a massive, massive gamble that at this point we can't afford to take. I think that Lampard is probably, for me, ahead of Rooney in the fact that he's managed at the top level. Um I take on board what you say, Lee, about obviously whether we think he's got that right mentality to be a top top manager. Like you said, he he admitted he he struggled to, um, you know, speak to the senior players and say, oh, you know, you're not playing today, and that's no good at Everton. You know, you've, you've got to come in and have, have a backbone, have a spine, and, and be strong in 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 your decisions. Um, so both of them for me, I think, are off the table. I think you've got to go with Duncan Ferguson in the shorter term. I think it makes perfect sense. We've said it buys us some time to make the right decision of getting in the right director of football, then getting the right manager in over the next, say, three to four weeks. And he will automatically give us a lift from the off. That man wants the job. Duncan Ferguson wants the job. He's been interviewed before. He wanted the job when it was given to Rafael Benitez. And I think this time, if he doesn't get given the job, I think that'll be the last that we see at Duncan Ferguson for, for the time being. I think that he will then have to probably go away and, and prove himself as a manager in another club, whether it be the Championship or, or what have you. I think he will have to do that in order to, to maybe earn, earn the respect of people at Everton if he, if he wants to manage the club, the club one day. But I think, personally, it's what we should be doing. And all the talk of Martinez and, and how quickly that has moved, I think, is absolutely baffling. I mean, Pete, Pete just sent us the, uh, the the images there of the the Martinez outbanners from when he was at the club before he was removed from his job. And exactly right. I mean, he got a ten million pound payoff when he when he was let go. I know, and I'm looking for bringing the same the same man back in. He was, you know, massively divisive as as well. It just it just shows that this board is not learning any lessons at all from past mistakes. And as much as I I thought he was a lovely fella, I think, you know, he was one of those those people you, you couldn't help but like. Was he ruthless enough? No, probably not. You know, he, he was always, he, he got the best out of certain players, i.e. Ross Barkley being one. He was always talking players up. But it doesn't work. You've got to be honest. You've got to be honest as well in terms of your assessments and, he was too nice for his own good. 
And as much as he, you know, everyone will say he's a football man, he sits there watching footy. He's got two Terry's, one for him, one for his wife, and he watches the footy and she watches Coronation Street and blah. You know, but he says what's the same. First one in, last one out. It means nothing to me. So, you know, I want someone to come in who's hungry, who thinks he can make a difference, who the players can get on board with, who you can motivate, and more importantly, get us the wins we need to stay in the Premier League. That is the short-term goal. Forget Bramley Moore. Forget what we want to do about winning trophies. Yet again, we're in a position where we've got to we've got to keep ourselves in the Premier League because if we don't, that will be catastrophic, uh, catastrophic to this club, and that's where so, we're totally, totally. I think the Martinez one definitely. You also got to remember with Martinez. You were talking about there the football that we play and things like that. You know, I'd like to, I'd like, I'd love to have seen what David Moyes would have possibly done with a with, with a uh, you know a young hungry Lukaku. By the way, I think you know Moyes was arguably Lukaku away from potentially winning a trophy. At Everton, all the other pieces were there, other than the top top draw uh, draw striker. You know, Martinez brought Lukaku with him, or brought Lukaku in. Sorry, you know, like you just said, that that he had, you know, arguably a peak Ross Barkley when he first broke through. Barkley, the perfect manager for Ross Barkley was a Martinez type guy, wasn't it? You you know, put your arm around you, tell you the best player I've ever seen. Martinez, he went from Martinez repeatedly telling him he's he's he's, he's Gascoigne, he's he's a mixture of Gascoigne and Balak and people like this. Right the way through to Kuman, who basically just thought he was one of the worst players he'd seen. You know what I mean? So, you know, ultimately he had the benefit of of of, of those players, but ultimately it all fell apart. The wheels came off very quickly after that first season. Like like you just said there, Matt, when teams started working us out, when we couldn't play another style of play, possibly as he learned from some of those mistakes, maybe, maybe not. But ultimately, like I said before, you know, he's got the Belgian team who are, you know, have been ranked number one in the world for quite a while at times. And they've got some of the best players in the world, and like said, De Bruyne and Hazard and people like that, and Lukaku himself. And ultimately, they haven't won anything. They haven't won a dime under him. So ultimately, I think for me, it would be, as I said before, an absolute kamikaze appointment. I just wanted to mention quickly as well, I spoke to you, Mike, about this the other day. I don't know whether you've seen this, Pete, but um, Gerard's interview yesterday after the Man United game for Villa. Now, look, not in a million years, obviously, would we ever have gone for someone like a Gerard, even if he was at Rangers now, because of again his background and who he was. But how Gerard came across in that interview yesterday is what I want to see from my Everton manager who comes into our club. His interviews, in a lot of cases, are refreshingly honest for a manager. He got asked by the by the by the interviewer uh, about you know about the mistake from Emmy Martinez about some of the mistakes from some of the other players in the first half that led, that led to the goal and that Samson, we gave the ball away for the goal. And his response was to that was, I don't mind if my players make mistakes trying to do the right thing. We try and coach them to play, go for that difficult pass or go for something that may be out of the ordinary. But as long as they're trying to do the right thing, they will make mistakes. But I've got no problem with that. How must a player feel when, a, when your own manager comes out and says that about you? You know, incredible what he said that. And then he also got said about Jacob Ramsey, who's clearly a talent that he's brought into the side and looks like a player. The interviewer goes, how good was Jacob Ramsey there, goal and assist? And his first response was, well, to be honest, I thought he was awful in the first half. But he was awful. And I told him that at half-time. And there were a few home truths said in the half, uh, at half-time to some of the other players as well. And we came out second half and we were a much better side. And it's that honesty that Gerard gives you that honesty that he's turning around and saying, no, he was garbage first half. And I told him that, you know, and everyone, everyone was clambering, the interview was clambering over him about Coutinho. And he turns around and says about Coutinho, 
the talent's still there. We can see the talent's all there. We know he's been a top player, played some of the top clubs. He just needs to find a home now where we, where where he's loved, and we'll we'll give him that home where he's loved, and we'll put that arm round him. We'll get him fit. You know, brilliant again. And then talks about you know talks about Luca Dean. Obviously, as much as I hated for him to say it, saying the likes of some of his younger players like Ramsey and a few others that he brought on into the game, they'll look at the likes of Luca Dean and Coutinho. And his words were players with international pedigree, they'll look up to those players and they'll learn off them day in, day out in training. That's what I want to hear from my manager. Pardon? I thought Dean was brilliant yesterday. He was outstanding, Pete. He was outstanding. He was outstanding. And the thing is, the way Gerard spoke there in that interview, right, that's how I want my manager to speak about Everton, about being honest about, you know, we were crap first half, but second half I did this and this, and I told him, and we came out and we were a different kettle of fish. That honesty... And that's sort of, you know, almost a bit of a throwback, really. He's, he's not filtered. He says what he thinks. He'll get respect because of who he was as a player automatically anyway. But that's what I want from my Everton manager. You know, I can get behind a manager like that. You know, if it was someone like Simeone, for example, that came here or something like that, and, and he started speaking to us about that, I'd get behind him because he's passionate and he speaks from, speaks from the heart. And I just think, I think that's the type of manager that Everton, for me, would get behind. Well, not, but not specifically him. But obviously, not specifically him. But you know, someone like you know, even I, even the way Conte speaks at Spurs, you know, what I mean, uh, you know, they realised they made a cock up and they went out there and got Conte. There isn't there isn't a lot of top top managers out there, is there? You know, when mm. we grew up as kids and you saw the you know from Yusakis to you know all all the way all the way through to Ferguson and people, you seem to be you know top managers everywhere. There doesn't seem to be nowadays. You know, as many top managers in the game as there was as there was back then. So therefore, you know, they realised they made a cock up and they went out there and gave gave Conte, you know, paid paid him what he wants. But look at look what Conte's done in a short space of time. They're not playing spectacular football, Spurs. But it, like Pete just said before, they've got the basics right. They're giving themselves a platform for the likes of Son and Kane to go and win the games because they're keeping clean sheets. Do you know what I mean? So for me, and and the way he comes across in interviews as well, really honest. Really honest, fans get behind that. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and and we we've needed that kind of approach probably longer than most than most clubs. We've seen it in in certain parts, you know, one extreme, you know, Cumin, but he wasn't a particularly likable fella. I don't think full stop. Um, no, he never spoke well, Cumin. Though he was arrogant. I mean, he didn't, but, but I think maybe he, at times he was too honest for his own good. You know, we, we talk about Ross Barkley and how. Ross Barkley under Martinez thrived because he had a mind, yeah, who constantly said how much he believed in him, how phenomenal he was week in, week out, whether he was or he wasn't. And he went from that extreme to, to Coombe and he was the other way, wasn't he? And too, maybe too critical. So you, you've got yeah, to find the, balance as a manager. The difference, exactly the balance. The differences with Gerard, though, mate, is that I can imagine him having really honest, difficult conversations with his players at half time. But at the same time, I can also imagine him putting his arm around someone as well. He's got the ability to do both, rather than just being, you know, a one-track pony for you. And I don't know whether you saw it as well. This is this is how ridiculous it is. But obviously Martinez made that howler, and obviously you know it led to their first goal. And he's been a top keeper for them even before Gerard came, and he was arguably the best keeper in the Prem last year. And even the tiniest subtle thing, what Gerard did on social media that evening, he put his his little son in a full Villa uh, Villa keepers kit. And then he put wrote in the caption Emmy Martinez and put like the you know the Villa Love Hearts or whatever it is you know something like that something really tiny like that but that's a little sign to say 
I know you cocked up there, mate, and I know you've cost us the first goal in a crucial game, but we're all behind you, son. We're all behind you. Do you know what I mean? And that, that for me, just a little subtle thing, but very clever management at the same time. Yeah, it is. But, you know, <laughs> Everton, like I said, whether we've got the people, the right people in charge or the right pe- or the people in charge with the right people around them to come to the right conclusion really remains to be seen. And I just don't know. I really just don't know how it how it's going to play out. If if Martinez comes in, it's divisive. Um, if I mean other names have been that have been touted, even Big Dunk, you know, as much as we're, we're behind him, you know, for him to come in at least in the Instagram, he's divisive. People seem to think that he's he hasn't got the the qualities and the, uh, the technical knowledge to, to, to manage the team and just think it's just going to be gung-ho football, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there, there's so many, the names that are being mentioned have all, you know, got the got the critics. Um, but certainly think shorter-term approach for longer-term gains could be the way to, to go forward. Um, but it's going to be a pivotal week ahead, isn't it? You know, we, we've got Aston Villa coming to Goodison Park um, on Saturday, early kickoff. Um, at half twelve, obviously Stephen Gerrard, as you've, you've mentioned, the manager of Aston Villa, Luca Dean back in town very quickly after his move to to Villa from Everton. So we'll take a short break um, and we'll go through that uh, very very shortly. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Unholy Trinity podcast, where we're going to look ahead of this week and obviously Aston Villa coming to to Goodison Park, another really important game. This week, you know, in itself coming up is is important, isn't it? Because I fully expect an announcement to be made in regards to who will be taking, well, it will, who will be taking control of the, the team uh, for, for Saturday's game. And we've mentioned in the previous part of the show who we, who we would like to see, who we might think we would see. Um, but Pete, how important is it to, to get an announcement fairly quickly in terms of who's going to be taking the team on Saturday? Well, I mean, you'd think it would really help the the players for one, and you'd hope if it is big dunk, he, he would get a training session under his belt so that he can spend some time with the squad, get his ideas across, but start to get confidence and belief and momentum up. Um, so I, I think it's really important, really. You, do, you know, you don't want the announcement being made on, you know, Thursday or Friday, for example. Um, but I think it's going to be such a tough game, this. I, I think... You know, Lee's admiration of Gerard aside, Villa have got a really good squad. I think um, the the thing for me, although they're not in a in a very good position in the, in the table, arguably, no one's mentioned Jack Grealish, and and that for me speaks dividends. That for me says you know that they are a, a team without him, regardless, and they're a good team. Um, whoever they play, they give them a game of football. Um, I watched both the, the United games in, in the cup, where I thought they were really unlucky, and in the in the league. Um, and for me, they, they deserve to win both games. Um, I, I thought they made United look like a very small, poor team um, yesterday, and I think they're going to come and be right up for it. I expect it to be an end-to-end game, really, really physical, really fierce, really fast. And I think it might just be one of those where it, it's who wants it more. Well, 
again, I mean, this, this is a changing situation all the time. The another update on the on the mind, yeah, as you as you're speaking there, Pete. We mentioned Martinez. We mentioned we mentioned Ferguson. Um, apparently, there is a lot of support for Martinez at the club, but it seems to be a race between him and, and Big Dunk, especially in the shorter term for Saturday, with the, the Belgian FA keen for Martinez to remain in place for the World Cup um, in, in Qatar, which is obviously the, in the in the winter of, of this year. So that's that's going to be evolving. We've got to, you know, like you said, then it, it's really important in this situation, even for a short-term appointment, whether it be for, say, three or four weeks, um, that we get it in place so the players know where they are, the fans know where they are in the lead-up to the game, you know, from from a game that we were potentially all, all dreading on Saturday. There's certainly going to be a little bit more positivity around than there would have been with, obviously, the removal of the manager. We've seen the impact that Big Dunk had when he when he came in last time. That Chelsea game live, lives long in the memory, you know, for, for so many different reasons from... Him coming out with with Howard Kendall's watch on, um, to him hugging the ball boys when we scored, the the emergence you could argue with Dominic Calvert Lewin, you know the scenes at the end, the the emotion from from Big Duncan his interview, all those things combined to make it a really special day. And it's so important for me that if he's going to take charge or whoever's going to take charge, make make that decision, get them in, so we know where we are what we're building to on Saturday. So the players have got a little bit of time to work with, with an individual. Um, but like you say, it's evolving all the time. So no doubt when this goes out later on tonight, we'll be outdated again. But that's where we are. Um, Lee, what, what are your thoughts on it in terms of you know going towards Aston Villa game? You know, Like Pete said, you, you, you've waxed lyrical for about 25 minutes about Steven Gerrard, which is <laughs> incredible on an Everton, Everton fan podcast. But we won't go there. Um what are your thoughts going into the game now? You know, we're, we're still looking for the interim manager. Do you hold out much hope that it's going to be announced pretty quickly? I love that. You two give me a stick on that. I love that. I know I know. privately you both agree with me, but you just don't want to say it. But um, but anyway, the point is, no, I, it's going to be a really interesting game, isn't it? I mean, it, you've got to hope that I think that the sensible, you know, the sensible heads... Uh, have Ferguson in charge ready ready for the, for that game as I said for the rest of the season for me I can't help but think uh, I'm sure you two will agree with me Martinez just stinks of bloody Kenwright doesn't it it stinks mm-hmm. of Kenwright just wanting want his, his romantic appointment if it can't be David Moyes it's got to be Martinez who clearly embla- embraced the club who, you know who, who clearly put on you know on the stairway at Finch Farm, you know, the past winners and then some blank pictures where Everton are going to be, you know, their next trophies and all that. He falls for the romance every time. He's clearly obviously in the in the theatrical trade. But but ultimately, we've got to make a sensible appointment here and, and go go for Ferguson. If Ferguson's in there, I mean, think about it. Ferguson be Gerard coming back to Goodison Park. Lucas Dean is a little side story as well. You know, it could be an absolute blood and thunder type game. It really could because they're going to be up for it. You know, Villa. You mentioned about Villa before, but you know, Pete. Pete was saying that they've got some good players. No one's really mentioned Grealish. Everybody was mentioning Grealish when Dean Smith was with Dean Smith was there. You know, and 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 I think I'm pretty much correct in saying pretty much Villa were where we are now. When obviously they you know they decided to make the choice of getting rid of Dean Smith and bringing a new manager in, and then they've gone on and and I, I you know really. Well, you know, really pushing it, I reckon, for the for Europe uh, towards the, the second half of the season. They're certainly trending in that direction. 
Um, so, yeah, for me, I think if Ferguson's in charge, he'll definitely lift the dressing room, like I said. He'll, left, he'll make every player feel 10 feet, uh, feel 10 feet tall. And, you know, you'd like to think we'll have the basics sorted in terms of, you know, certainly being hard to beat, three in midfield, Patterson at right back, you know, defense, you know, defensively solid from set pieces. You know, just by having those three or four things, like I said before, simple things really that we can all see, but somehow, you know, Rafa couldn't see it himself, that that would suddenly make us, you know, a, a much better all-round team. And if we do do that, I think we have a, a really, really strong chance of winning the game. Yeah, I mean, you've got to you've got to think that the approach will be will be different. Whoever is in charge on on Saturday, and you you would think that the players would have a bit more motivation to to go out and do well. As rightly, you know, are right or wrong that that, that actually is. Uh, but that's what you've got to what you've got to think. And if it is a you know Ferguson versus versus Steven Gerrard, you know, it's there could be some some fantastic antics on the on the touchline as well as as well as on the pitch as well. Uh, but one one thing's for sure, I think that we will definitely see a, a much more charged up atmosphere at Goodison Park. Um, I'm sure the fans will be backing the players as as best they can. And you know, I, I fully expect. I think personally, you know, it will be Duncan Ferguson in the dugout on on Saturday. Talk of Leighton Baines potentially being alongside him, which is intriguing in itself. He's, you know, he hasn't he's done what maybe six months or so worth of worth of coaching uh, with the under 18s. So he's he's learning his 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 trade. He's, he was in and around the the first team as well last year um, in a, in a coaching capacity. So he, he's been there. You know, we the players I'm sure will, will respect Leighton Baines massively. He's he's a he's a or was a professional who who did so much and was at the top the top of his game for so many years. So I think it, you know, hopefully will instill a little bit of confidence in the players and, and motivate them to, to want to do well, because, you know, you, you shouldn't really need that. Should you? you shouldn't need a change of manager to go out there and perform, but I think it got that toxic. Um, and, and he, he lost the, the dressing room, I think fairly, you know, fairly early in his, in his tenure, to be perfectly honest, that the players need something to get out of the, the, the situation that we find ourselves in. And hopefully Saturday with the, you know, with the new, the new man in temporary charge, we're, we're going to see, we're going to see some kind of, some kind of reaction. Um, but let's end, if we can, on a, a round of predictions. Lee, what are you thinking? It's almost impossible, isn't it? Because obviously we don't have a clue, you know, what the outcome is going to be. Hopefully we'll we'll find out in the next couple of days. But um, if it is Ferguson, as we'd expect, being the sensible appointment, I think he's got a lot to lift the confidence of the players. But you know, if if it, if Chelsea's anything to go by, his first game back, oh, his first game in charge. Sorry, Goodison. Um, you know, and as I said before, getting the basics right and doing this, making the simple changes. Um, I think I think we'll edge it, and I think you know, we won't keep a clean sheet. Still, I don't think, um, but I think we'll edge it two-one. Confidence, Pete. I think it'll be an end-to-end screamer, two-two. I think. Yeah, I, I can see. I can see a score draw. Um, I think we will see a reaction. I think we're seeing a Villa side on the on the up. So difficult proposition, regardless of of who was in charge. Um, but that that little bit of motive, extra motivation, extra bit of uh, fire, hopefully in the uh, in the base of, of the Everton players. Um, I think I can see a one-all draw, but but a good game, 
a good game. I really do see a decent game. And hopefully, as I say, we can try and take, take the game to a side for the first time and I don't know how long. I'd love to see us go out there and attack the game. Look like we want to win it. You know, if you go out there and you, and you give it your all and the fans can see that, then you, you win a lot more favour than you do going out there and losing with a whimper. And that's what the, that's what the players need to show. They've got to step up now as well. It's not just on, on the manager all the time, as much as he was mostly to blame. The players have got to step up and show that they want to, they want to play for the club and, and hopefully impress the, the new man who's in the dugout on, on Saturday. Uh, but that's us for this week. Be, before we go, uh, just a, a reminder that you you can you can rate us on both iTunes and now Spotify. Spotify have allowed you to to give us a star rating, so that's really important to ourselves. And if you can do that, give us five stars by all means. That'll be be really really helpful. And we'll be back ourselves next weekend. Obviously, Aston Villa against Town, like we've said. Hopefully, let let's hold fingers crossed. We've got something positive to discuss. I'm to be a busy week at the club as well so plenty of things are going to be going on so we'll catch you next weekend the unholy trinity podcast three blues three opinions one everton podcast sports social podcast network